0: I do have, for those who are not interested, capable, willing to get online and download a handout, I do have copies of that for you again tonight. There's only about 20 copies and so they really are reserved for those that would rather avoid the website. If you want to get them from the website, they're there. I do have just a handful from last week. If you didn't get one last week and you need one, I've got maybe four or five left and so you can get those um, before you leave tonight I want to just uh, encourage you in your scripture memory so if you recall I have a sign scripture memory that fits the pattern of this presentation so that you might be able to have conversations with people we're building and we'll eventually get to the place where we really make sense out of this together in the weeks to come The first part of this little booklet talks about the fact that we live in a broken world. We're surrounded by broken lives, broken relationships, broken systems. And the brokenness is seen in suffering and violence, poverty, pain, death around us. And that brokenness leads everyone to search for answers to make life better, make life work. And the reason that is is because God had a design when he made everything everything was supposed to work according to his design and that's our first two scriptures Genesis 131 Psalm 19 1, that God made everything and it was good and we can look at the world and we can see his handiwork he had a design but there was a problem because life doesn't work when we ignore God and his plans his design for our lives we insist on doing things our own way, and the Bible calls this sin. And we all sin and distort the original design. And the consequences of our sin are separation from God in this life and all eternity. And then we have our two verses for this week: Romans three twenty three for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, and Romans six twenty three, the gift of the wages of sin is death. And so that conveys. The problem of sin and so we know there's brokenness we also see God's design and sin creates a problem so we're building this picture all right so that's how those verses fit in the initial part of the presentation where you can have a conversation with somebody about the Lord all right so we'll keep moving on so you get some more scripture memory for this week You've got Romans 1.25 and Proverbs 14.12. Proverbs and that's on the handout. If you get the handout, you'll have those Scripture memory verses. All right? All right. Um, <clears throat> I want to create a little test for you. So if you've got a pen and paper, I would like you to write down the three words that are our key words for a definition of a disciple. So the three words that are our three key words for our definition of a disciple I'll give you just a second to do that if you miss one you fail so it's pretty tough test Alright, word number one what is it okay maybe I'm not a very good teacher <laughs> our definition of a disciple is someone who joyfully pursues experiences of a relationship with Jesus Christ the key word is relationship all right remember the, now and I clued into the definition Characterized by vital involvements in a community of believers. Community is our next key word that results in a reproducing or a disciple making lifestyle. Disciple making is our third key concept. So, experience of the relationship with Christ, the local church, involvements in the community of believers. And all of that results in a reproducing or disciple-making lifestyle. That's what a disciple is. I know Christ. I follow Christ in a community of believers, local church. And all of that together is creating in me a, a disciple-making lifestyle. Everybody got it? When you think about a relationship with Jesus Christ, there are some basic components to everyone's relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, there are some basic components to that relationship. Let me just go through some of those real quickly with you. First of all, there's a pattern of behavior sustained over time. That's a relationship with someone. There's a pattern of behavior sustained over time. And you've got to have this pattern of spending Time with the Lord. And so the next component is investments of time. So you've got a pattern of behavior. You've got investments of time. You've got an increase of knowledge. Okay. And then you've got. Uh, measurable change in your life and you share these experiences with others those are the things that characterize a relationship with Christ you have a pattern of behavior over sustained over time you don't get to know Jesus Christ um, over just one moment you can meet him you can decide to follow him but a relationship with him is a pattern of behavior sustained over time It includes investments of actual time. You cannot know Christ without spending time getting to know Him. And getting to know Him means you're having an increase of knowledge. You're actually getting to know more about Him. And when you get to know more about Him through an investment of time and a pattern of behavior, He will change your life. You cannot be around Jesus and know Him and not be changed by Him. And if He's changing you, guess what you're going to want to talk about? Guess what people are going to experience? People are going to be blessed by the changes that happen in you. And you're going to want to tell them about the changes that are happening in you. And so these things are indicative of a relationship with Jesus. So remember, one of our key components is a disciple is someone who joyfully pursues experiences of a relationship with Jesus. And this is some of the things that need to be happening in your life when you're in relationship with Jesus. Make sense? All right. Let me introduce what we're going to do tonight that was just bonus like get you warmed up a little bit you know so uh, all week long I have I don't know if you, you you're like me but all week long I have really struggled with the difficulty of last week's message anybody else feel like that so let me tell you kind of what I've been thinking and feeling um Following Jesus Christ as Jesus defines following him is not easy. Everybody feel that last week? I thought maybe a lot of you, most of you might not come back, you know. I mean, it was hard. It was really hard. Following him as he defines following him is hard. Abiding in the word of God like he defines abiding in the word of God is not easy loving every disciple every other disciple am i the only one that had problems loving every other disciple this week like by thursday being a blessing to all people at all times anybody else struggle with that so all week long I've been just this struggle of I see what the Bible says that it means to be a disciple and to follow Christ. I understand what this means. But it's really hard. It's really hard. And and really the difficulty for me is made most apparent in my own shortcomings. Isn't that true for you? I mean, when I said all that I said last week, if you, if you were like me, I just felt like that all my shortcomings were coming, flashing into my mind, and I began to think, how in the world can I follow Christ? Was I alone? Yeah. It's really, really hard. I don't abide in the Word like I want to. I don't follow Christ like I long to. I don't love other disciples as much as I want to love them and I don't bless everyone at all times and find myself in a real quandary many times in my life having fallen short. And yeah, herein lies the wonder of God's grace This is one of the most beautiful truths in all the Bible. Um, The grace of God in the life of a disciple takes that disciple who experiences one shortcoming, one failure after another and helps that disciple see Can start over. Right now, you can start over. It's one of those moments when we're reminded we were not saved by our works. It was not the quality of our living that made us worthy to be saved. And we will not continue in Christ by our works. There should never be a time in the life of a disciple that the disciple believes, I am now following Christ such that I am independent of His grace. I'm good. I've been trucking along real nice, got it down. No, the demands of Jesus are so severe, so hard, so heavy, that it consistently moves us to the place of depending totally on Him. So, so what happens is we realize I can start in the same grace I began in right now. And we just keep starting over. Because you know what? Tomorrow, if I go through those four categories, following Jesus, abiding in his word, loving every disciple, blessing everyone at all times. You know what? If I evaluate my life at the end of the day on the basis of those four biblical categories, you know what I'm going to end up doing tomorrow night? Lord, i got to confess some sin to you. And he's going to say, I know. And what makes you my follower is you trust my grace to clean you up and let you start over tomorrow. And you know what I find out tomorrow? I find out that my new starting place is not as far back as my last starting place. That somehow God's grace is working in me and He's moving me along the way so that my starting places are always advancing. And I'm growing little by little to be more and more like the Savior who rescued me. It's it's just a wonderful experience to see God's grace in the life of a disciple that gives us a chance to start over and over and over again and to recognize that that is what growth looks like. And so I want to talk to you tonight about how a disciple grows. How do we deal with this and I think it's going to be so freeing and so energizing for making disciples because disciples who are growing make disciples and so let's talk together about how a disciple grows so let's think about what a disciples growth really is what is a disciples growth another prop tonight thanks to Bill Pate where's Bill Thanks Bill. I want to tell you about this walking stick. A man named Dan Karras, Karras, makes walking sticks and he gives them to people. He's in his late 60s. He is legally blind and nearly deaf and he makes these sticks and he gives them away to people along with messages about following Christ. It's his way to make disciples. It's pretty cool. So, so think about Dan. And what he does. All right, Dan. When he's making a walking stick like this one. And he made this one. He does not see the stick. For what it is. It's easy for him because he's blind. He, he He has a vision for what it will be. So when he he gets a stick like this, he sees it for what it can become, what he can make it. So he selects a stick, and at that point, that stick has now become a walking stick. Now yes, he has to make it into a walking stick, but because he selected it, it is now a walking stick. He takes his knife and he whittles off the bark and he works on filling the holes and he gets it just right. He takes sandpaper to it and he begins to rub it down so that it's smooth and he takes primer and he takes paint and he gets it all fixed just like he wants it. And at that point, it then has become what he chose it to become because of his work. He transforms a piece of wood into a walking stick that is then useful for the purpose for which it was selected and made. Our key word tonight is sanctification. That's our key word. Big biblical word, let me just unpack it for you. Sanctification is a word that describes a disciple's growth there are two critical aspects of sanctification. Two critical aspects of sanctification we need to understand. Number one, we are made holy by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And God in His grace gives us the holiness of Christ so that we are holy. Doesn't matter what you've ever done. Doesn't matter what you'll ever do. You are made holy on the basis of God's gracious gift of Christ's holiness that's received through faith in Christ. That's the first key aspect you need to understand about sanctification or a disciple's growth is that your holiness is not connected to who you are in your actions. Your holiness is connected to who you are in Christ because of his actions and his holiness being imputed or credited to your life. That's the first key aspect of sanctification. So if you've decided to follow Christ, you are holy with the holiness of Jesus. That's just who you are all right you're like that walking stick that he has picked up with all its knots and problems and he has said you are holy here's the second key aspect he's gonna work in your life by his grace to bring out of your life the holiness that is put in your life so a disciple's growth is Jesus's work in you by grace through faith in him wherein which he brings out his holiness to the surface of your life so that who you are is who you become more and more and more throughout your life of trusting Christ and it's this process of growth that m- makes us make disciples. The, mo- the more the holiness of Jesus Christ comes out in me because of the gracious work of God in me, the more the world sees Jesus and wants to follow Jesus. Period. And so this process of feeling the weight of the demands of Jesus that drives me to Jesus so that Jesus reminds me that it's just His holiness given to me that rescued me, puts me in a position for His Spirit to work out in my life His holiness so the world sees something other than just a moral person. If, if you don't get this definition of a disciple's growth, do you know what our tendency will be? to just try to modify our behavior so we look better than the next person and fit in the pew next to somebody at church that's just a decent guy and the world just sees that we're a bunch of good people and they never see the holiness of Jesus. They just see a lot of morality. And, and a disciple's growth is much bigger than morality. Sure, it has to do with morality, but it's much more significant than that. It's holiness. It's the holiness of Christ coming out of us in a way that makes the world marvel how can this be coming out of another human being how can another human being sacrifice like this how can another human being love like this how can another human being humble themselves and seek forgiveness like this how can another human being has been so wronged still love how is this possible I'll tell you how because God made them holy and his spirit is bringing out Jesus holiness in them and what they're seeing is something that is not simply possible without Jesus and when people see that we make disciples when people see morality we make good club members and we call them a part of the church are you hearing me a disciples growth is critical and sanctification is an enormous key I want you to listen to Hebrews 10 14. For by a single offering he is perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. Do you hear that? By Jesus Christ's offering, he perfected for all time, made them holy, those who are being made holy. That's growth for a disciple. I am holy. The holiness that I am is being worked out in me by the Spirit of God on the price of Jesus Christ's death. God has an agenda in each one of our lives. Do you know what it is? To grow us. To sanctify us. Because disciples who are growing make disciples. He wants his holiness to find its way out of our lives. How else will our world see the glory of God? That's what he's doing. And I love it. All right, so let's talk about how a disciple grows. So we talked about what it is. So let's talk about how it actually happens. Okay. The growth of a disciple begins with the gospel. If you you stay here at First Baptist for as long as God's going to have me here, and I'm I'm hoping that's a really, really long time, you will either learn to expect and love what I'm fixing to say, or you're going to get so tired of it you can't stand to be here anymore. Uh, A disciple's growth begins with the gospel. You don't graduate from the gospel. You don't move on from the gospel. You don't get too good for the gospel. You don't get too mature for the gospel. You don't know so much that you don't need to revisit the gospel. Everything about a disciple's growth begins and ends with the gospel. So let me just walk you through a passage of scripture. James chapter 4 verses 4 through 10. If you have your Bible, turn to James chapter 4 verses 4 through 10. We're going to quickly just read this passage I'll make a couple comments as we go. James 4, 4 through 10. Starts out with a real bang here. You adulterous people. We know right there we're not on good grounds with what's coming. Okay, so let's put ourselves in the position of the people that are being addressed. Now, I don't think there's anybody here, myself included, that would like somebody to come and we can say, you adulterous person. But if we're honest about what we felt like after being under the word of God last week and the amazing weight of God's call in our life, if we say, Lord, I know I have desperately fallen short. Do you know what that means of us? That there is hints of adultery in us. In other words, the the Bible uses adultery as a picture for idolatry for worshiping other things other than God, serving other things besides God. And so when we walk away saying, I am not loving you like I need to love you, we are basically saying, I am an adulterous person before you. I find in my heart a a propensity to move away from you and I want to move toward you and I need you to keep rescuing me. And so, see we're here, we're here in this passage, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or, are you suppo- or do you suppose it is of n- to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. God sees our struggles and you know what? He desires to rescue us at every turn. Every moment our heart is fleeting away from him. Every moment our mind drifts from being a disciple maker. God earnestly and jealously desires to recover the spirit he has sent to indwell in us. That we might fully follow him. He cares. And look at the next verse. But he gives more grace. Grace. Last week I walked out of that thinking and I tried to give you a little picture of grace but it was certainly inadequate in the moment. I walked out of that just thinking I need more grace. I sense your spirit constraining me to follow you. I am not following you like Jesus Christ wants me to follow you and I need more grace. What does the word of God say? He gives more grace. There is no limit to the grace of God for the disciple. No matter how deep your sin, no matter how far your treachery, he has grace to cover it all. So why pursue enmity with the world? No, God opposes that pride. Look at verse six, the rest of verse God says he opposes that pride, but he gives grace to the humble. I don't want to pursue enmity with God. I want to humble myself before God and agree with him that I am not who he has yet made me to be. But I am willing for him to keep whittling away on me, bringing out the holiness of Jesus in my life. Just keep working on me. Humility. Pose the proud, gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. How in the world can we do that? The gospel. I cleanse my hands of my sin, not by saying, tomorrow I'll do better, God. I cleanse my hands of my sin by saying, if Jesus did not die for me, there would be no hope for me. And I cleanse my hands of my sin by embracing the blood of Christ and his death for me. I purify my heart by giving you my broken heart so that the heart of Christ might be planted in me. The the way I come to God is in humility seeking his cleansing for my life and when I do that when I am wretched look at verse 9 be wretched, mourn and weep let your laughter be turned to mourning your joy to gloom was, I mean, probably last Wednesday you came in here pretty happy and I bet you might not have left as happy that's not a bad thing it's not bad it is the avenue of To humility, when you see your sin in light of the holiness of God and recognize that in that moment of humility, verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. You want to grow out of the mire of your sin over the course of your life? You want to see the holiness of Jesus Christ burst forth through the surface of your calloused life? Then humble yourselves before the Lord in light of the gospel, and He will exalt you. He will grow you, and you will make disciples. See, see the, the growth of a disciple begins and ends with the gospel you don't advance beyond this. This is our everything. And you know, honestly, when you see the gospel, is there anything in the world that creates a greater humility in your life than the gospel? That God would choose to forgive me. Listen, folks, I am not qualified to be a pastor of a church. I am qualified to go to hell under the judgment of God. But the gospel rescued me. He rescued me. And he planted me here to help people know him. Can there be anything more humbling than God's gracious hand on our lives? And what does he say? If you humble yourself, he will supply grace to you and exalt you and grow you. And what happens when you see the holiness of God coming out of your life in a way that you know you could not have done, only he could done? Does it not humble you again? And in humility, does he not then exalt you again and pour out more grace on your life? And before you know it, you know what you get caught up in? You get caught up in this amazing cycle of grace and humility. I have tasted the grace of God and it has so humbled me. Wait a minute, God's got more grace. Whoa, I am more humbled. God's got more grace. You know what's happening the whole time that this cycle is going on when you are remembering Christ? You are growing. He is changing you and His holiness is working its way out in your life so that you make disciples. He is so gracious and so good. All right, so let's talk about the means by which God does this. He has means for getting us in this cycle of humility and grace that brings about exaltation or growth. See, God does not want to exalt us so that everybody looks at us and say, man, these guys are really cool. You know why God wants to exalt us? Because he figures if he exalts us and what people really see in us is the holiness of Jesus, Jesus has been lifted up and he can draw all people to himself. You see that? So we want to get caught in this cycle. And there are means by which God gets us in this cycle. This is where every one of us want to be. Because this is the only place we'll begin to make disciples. Okay, so here are the means. word of God number one I'm going to read some scriptures to you if you want to write down the references I'm going to go through them very quickly John 17 17 sanctify them in the truth your word is truth get them in the cycle of bringing out my holiness your word is how it's going to happen all right John 17 17 acts 20 32 This is Paul commending people to Christ. He says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. So there's the word, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The word of God is able to get you in that cycle so that you get the gift, the reward, the inheritance that belongs to those who are caught in that cycle of sanctification or growth. Isn't that cool? Psalm 19, 7 through 10 says, The law of the Lord is perfect. of God restores the soul. That's the cycle. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 3 through 6, do not let kindness and truth leave you. There's the word. Don't let truth leave you, don't let the kindness of God leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God. And man trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him he will make your paths straight did you hear that God will take the failures of our lives and bring out the holiness of Jesus so that our paths are made straight through trusting in him by way of binding the word in our lives. See how that does? It's beautiful. All right, the word of God. All right, number two. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. First Peter 1, 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, Hear that? The sanctifying work of the Spirit, the Spirit's in our lives to sanctify us, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. So the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Philippians 3.15, that is, therefore as many are perfect have this attitude and if anything you have a different attitude, God's gonna reveal that to you also implication by way of the Spirit of God he's gonna show you where you need to be corrected John chapter 16 verse 10 talks about the work of the Holy Spirit in the world and he's specifically working concerning righteousness because Jesus goes to the Father and you no longer see him we no longer have Jesus standing right behind beside us as this tangible in the flesh example so what God has given us is his Word and his Spirit to enable us to see Jesus. So the Spirit of God is going to convict us in regard to righteousness so that when we're acting a certain way in our life, we're going to know it does not measure up. If you felt like last week that you did not measure up, hello, thank you, Holy Spirit. There was no problem going on. You didn't need to leave here in despair. You needed to leave here in gratitude. How terrible would it be to not experience the Spirit saying, You are not righteous enough. And how good it is that God cares enough to show us our need for Him. Right? John 16, 13, but when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak to you. He will disclose to you what is to come. The Spirit of God is revealing to our hearts constantly the truth of God. And as we said before, the truth of God is a sanctifying anvil and hammer in our lives. All right, number three. The church. Next week, I'll talk to you a lot more about the church because a disciple loves the church. And so we'll talk about that more next week. Let me give you a couple of verses here. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. If anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, the church... Restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, thereby, thereby fulfill the law of Christ. The church is a sanctifying element. A church takes individuals and says, get in the cycle. Get in the cycle of grace and humility by way of the gospel. You're outside the bounds of walking with Christ and you say you're a disciple, get back in, that's the church. I gotta be careful, I'm gonna get off on a big tangent there. I can go crazy on that one. All right, Matthew 18, 15 through 17, another passage about the church's role in rescuing brothers and sisters from their sin. The church is given a task to rescue, Matthew 18, 15 through 17. 1 Corinthians 5.12 talks about that the church has a responsibility to judge those inside the church. We have a responsibility to look at each other's lives and say, I don't see Jesus' holiness coming out of you. And if you say it's in you, it's supposed to be coming out of you. So how can I walk alongside you so that it comes out better? I'm in the same boat as you are. I'm not better than you. But what I think we're supposed to do here is help each other let the holiness of Jesus Christ come out more. See, that's the church. And then Romans 14, 9, we pursue the things, 14, 19, Romans 14, 19, we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. If you strive to build me up, you know one of the greatest things you can do to build me up is don't believe that I'm always okay. Assume that I need God's grace as much as you know you need it. And remind me of it all the time. Right? That's what we gotta do each other, that's the church. All right, so far so good, right? We like one through three. Not so much with number four. I, th- I think, you know, we all are okay with the, the word of God, the Holy Spirit, the church, helping us get in the cycle. But there is one more very significant means for God glorifying, disciple-making growth of a disciple. Suffering. It's the one we would all like to leave out we would prefer not to have in our lives as a means of growth. Nobody's, nobody in their right mind says, I really want to be in pain for the rest of my life. If you know anybody with chronic pain, I can promise you, they will tell you that's the dumbest thing you've ever said. We don't want to suffer. We don't long to suffer because we're not made ultimately to suffer. But that does not mean that suffering is not a means for growth for a disciple. Because it is. It's a significant means. Listen to this verse. First Peter uh, verse, chapter 1 verses 6 through 9. In this, catch this, in this you greatly rejoice. Even though now for a little while If necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Did you just hear that? Let Let me go through this one more time. Listen to this. You're rejoicing that right now it's necessary that I've been distressed by various trials I've suffered so that Jesus' holiness, the proof of my faith, makes its way on the outside Just like we would say gold is precious and you get that precious gold through fire, the Bible is saying the holiness of Jesus Christ through the faith of a disciple is precious, more precious than gold, and many times comes out through the testing of suffering. And that is how we attain glory and honor for the name of Jesus. Psalm 119, 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. There are many, many passages through both Old and New Testament that undergird the truth that suffering is a significant means for the growth of a disciple. So let's look at a specific passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 10. I just want to work through this passage with you in the last 15, 20 minutes. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 10. This is a passage that can really help us embrace this essential means for the growth of a disciple. Alright, Paul says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier, so here we go, suffer hardship. He says, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended of David according to my gospel for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal but the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen so that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. Right, so let's walk through this together. There, there are three pictures we're given here in this passage that can really help us believe the right things about suffering because it's everything in us to embrace. We we have a hard time saying, "Yeah, this is great. I'm so glad that suffering is a means for growth. I'm ready." Everything in us wants to push it away. And so remember, being a disciple is first not about what you do, it's about what you believe. And this gives us three pictures that will help us believe the right thing about suffering. Because if you don't believe the right thing about suffering, you are bypassing an enormous opportunity for growth that makes you a disciple maker. And will in fact make you bitter against God and to cause people to miss Jesus Christ through your life, which is the totally opposite. For how you were made to live your life, all right? So here we go, three pictures. Number one, the soldier. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, we are equipped by God's grace for spirit, the spiritual military of disciple making. So as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, here's what you're supposed to do. Consider Jesus as your commander, that he is determined that following him includes suffering. That's his plan, and his plans are our orders. And his plans are always good and right. Always. Psalm 119.75 says, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. The disciple sees his suffering at the hands of his commander and says in faithfulness, I am suffering as a disciple. You have not abandoned me. Your goodness has not been withheld from me. No, suffering is the means for my growth. That the holiness of Jesus makes its way out and people's lives see Christ. Active service means that we no longer have daily affairs. Okay, this is really hard. Everything that we do um, is for the sake of making disciples when we are in active service. So as good soldiers of Jesus Christ, we are now in permanent active service which means everything we do is for making disciples. Everything. And that makes everything harder. Everything is harder because we're in active service. So tonight if I get home and we're out of milk and I gotta go to the store to get milk, guess what? I can't just go to the store to get milk. I'm not off duty. I'm in active service. So I have to remind myself that I'm going to the store to get milk, but I'm going to be among the people that God has called me to reach. And so I can't just go to get milk. I've got to go get milk and have disciple making in my view. Maybe I won't be able to make a disciple at the grocery store, but I might be able to tell somebody about Christ. I might be able to show somebody an unusual display of the holiness of Christ. But I'm telling you right now, if we think we're off duty, we'll go get milk. But we're always on duty. So that everything we do is about making disciples. That makes life a lot more difficult, right? Those of you who have children that you still got to discipline, this is harder to be a disciple. Because now, I mean, as if you can make discipline children any more difficult. When you were a disciple, You are always on duty, which means you are never disciplining your kids in order to modify their behavior and get them to act in a way that's less bothersome to you or somebody else around you. The point is not a change in behavior in your disciplining of your kids. No, you're on duty, you're to make disciples. The point is to rescue their heart and help them see the gospel in their brokenness so that they will have an affinity for Christ. It's harder to discipline as a disciple than to discipline as a parent who wants good kids. Everything is harder. Your time at work, you don't go to work to do your job. You go to work to do your job with such excellence to be such a blessing to people that you are being motivated by the opportunities, the skills that God has given you, give you to be a blessing so that you can make disciples. You're always in active service and that means that life is hard. Yes, Yeah, that, says, okay, so what? Yeah, that's right. Okay, <laughs> it's very good. We are always on duty. The last thing under this concept of good soldiers, we live for the pleasure of Christ. Not our own pleasure anymore, and so walking through suffering as a disciple to make disciples is pleasing to Jesus. It pleases Him because he wants us to make disciples. All right, the second picture, the athlete. If anyone competes as an athlete, he does, um, he does so to win the prize. He does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. So athletes compete to win, right? I c- athletes cannot stand things where somebody can't win. You gotta win if you're gonna play the game, and that's the point of playing. You wanna win. Athletes want. To win. And they never see rules as a problem. They see rules as the establishment of the game and the avenue through which you win. Right? Everybody with me? So, this side of heaven, suffering is a part of the rules. It's one of the rules. And an avenue for winning. Suffering is not a problem. God has not messed up. He has redeemed the suffering of this broken world and turned it into a means of disciple growth that brings him glory. He has not made a mistake. Suffering is not a problem. Suffering by God's grace purifies our lives can can create a distinct and effective witness for the gospel. Stores up incredible rewards for eternity. It's a part of disciple making and an avenue to winning people for Jesus Christ. Suffering is a means for disciple making and a disciple counts suffering a blessing not a problem. You look through all of Acts when they're counted worthy to suffer, what do they do? Yes. Why? Because they care about people coming to Christ more than they care about avoiding suffering. And they know that suffering for Christ is a means for their growth that causes them to make disciples and people to see Jesus. The farmer. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. A farmer looks at that empty field and he sees a vision of two things. The first thing that the farmer sees when he looks at his empty field is he sees future hardship. It's going to be hard tilling that field, working those crops. But he also sees the future Harvest. And with that vision, he presses on toward the harvest, knowing that there will be a return for all his hardship and that the return will be more than worth it. A farmer begins tilling the soil. He begins sweating and working because he knows at the end of the months and months of labor, there will be a harvest and the portion of that harvest will be to his own return, his joy for him to enjoy. He will find great joy and personal return in the harvest, even through hardship so when we stand in our neighborhoods and our city on the edge of our spiritual fields do we have the right vision do we see the difficulty and the hardship we should but do we also see the harvest what can come through the hardship Do we see when we see the hardship a means for growth that brings out the holiness of Jesus so that people see Christ and they come to know him? Do we know and behold the joy of seeing someone rescued from the grips of the enemy and delivered into heaven itself? We need to decide that we want to be part of a greater joy than just the absence of suffering. And let suffering do its work in us so that we experience the joy of seeing someone to come to know Christ. It makes every moment of suffering worth it. Verse 7 says, the Lord will give you understanding in everything. I love that because when I get to the end of this, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Okay, I see it, but Lord, I still don't like it. Okay, you keep trusting in Christ. He'll take care of helping you see enough to keep trusting Him. You lean on Him. Suffering's hard. It's the one place we need a lot of understanding. And right here He's telling us, you just cling to Him. He's going to help you. Verse 8 and 9 says, Remember Jesus, risen from the dead. Hello. Jesus Christ suffered more than we will ever suffer and all His suffering that we will never even come close to touching was for you and me remember Jesus. What came through his suffering? Your rescue. Your suffering, remember Jesus. And what might come through your suffering? Another's rescue because of the suffering of Jesus. Isn't that incredible? The descendant of David, he's the king of kings. He will overcome all suffering once and for all. Someday our suffering will end. But right now God has graciously determined it's a means for disciples' growth. Keep remembering Jesus in his his suffering, come back to the gospel again and again. Verse 10, for this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen. Oh, by the way, at the end of verse 9, Paul says, I'm in prison, but guess what? The word of God isn't. You know what? Suffering may get you down, may bind you up, may put you in situations. You think that there's no way God can use me in this brokenness. Guess what? You're wrong. It's through the brokenness and hardship of your suffering that sometimes God's word will go places it never would have gone before. He is good in his plans. Verse 10, for this reason I endure all things that people may obtain salvation. So keep the real purpose in view. We suffer so that others will be saved. This reality is the heart of disciple making. We are growing through any and every means, even suffering and hardship, so that we might reach the world with the message of God's incredible grace in Jesus Christ. Nothing else is worth our lives. Nothing. We need people in this church who understand what it means to be a disciple. Who want to grow through the means God has graciously provided for the holiness of Jesus to come out and change the world. We need a first generation of disciple makers. And God's just asking us, are we in? Are we in?